Thank you for checking out the I Doubt It podcast. We will explain in this episode why our recording methods have changed a little bit. We promise you that you will be able to clearly hear the conversation on this episode. We also guarantee that we will continue to perfect our recording process. Hey, thanks so much for checking us out. Hey everyone, how's it going? Hey, we are back here on I Doubt It. It has been, what, like eight weeks since we published our last podcast episode and that's it's, it's been a long time <laughs> it's it's been a while we used to i mean i remember when we were like tossing them out like week after week uh, and we'd go sit in each other's offices and uh just take our phone and, and hit record and uh we've had to adapt our system a little bit and the reason why is because there's been a lot of change in our lives zach what has changed for you so my wife and i moved to california gosh in july um my wife is practicing to be a physical therapist and we she's had an awesome opportunity out here and honestly this has always felt like home for us uh, so it's been good to be back um, this is where we went to school this is where we met and so it's just nice to be back in the area be back with friends um, so right now I am working for a uh, working for a company called Kalo they're the ones who make those silicone wedding rings so I work for them right now um, kind of taking a break from ministry uh, taking some time to rest and rethink exactly what I want to do. Uh, so it's been, it's actually been pretty nice. Um, my wife and I have just been attending a church and um, just kind of learning what it's like to be an attendee again and um, fall in love with the church and volunteer at it. And so, uh, yeah, so that's where we're at right now. Uh, I've got a lot of time on my hands to read and learn. And uh, so it's been good. It's been good. Um, yeah. Looking forward to teaching again. That's really awesome, man. That's really awesome. What is your, like favorite thing to do on a day off dude oh man going to the beach now that was that was such a big miss in arizona was the lack of beach well it was a and, giant beach it just didn't have an ocean yeah it just was yeah just big thing of sand and 120 yeah that's the other thing too is the the 80 degree temperature right now is just so much better than what we would have had in phoenix <laughs> Don't miss that. <laughs> yeah, we're opening we're opening windows and all sorts of stuff. So yeah. Yeah, and then Rublet, you uh you're Catholic now, right? Is that <laughs> that's what, what some is? people would think. <laughs> <laughs> no, so uh man, it's been an interesting trek. Uh you know, I I can't really explain the story without explaining the goodness of God. Uh you know, when I was twenty one, um I was at a a fantastic church there in Colorado Springs. And while, but I, I wasn't on staff, I was just kind of contracted and, and one of the worship leaders there and learning. I sat under a great, fantastic worship leader there. He's, he's like the godfather. I mean, this guy, this guy's fantastic. And so I was learning a lot, but, um, that guy who was, who was a worship leader there told me about another church in town that was Anglican. And I like, I never really knew anything about Anglicanism other than like, uh, you know, I, I took church history twice, you know? And so I kind of knew a little bit. Um, but I wound up leading worship for a little Anglican church a couple times uh, that met on the campus of Colorado College when I was 21. And uh, they talked to me about me being a worship leader. And I wound up saying no to that opportunity and moving on to back to the other church. Well, it comes around full circle that my brother-in-law is now Anglican. Uh, and he's an Anglican priest and has been. And the pastor 
that I led worship for actually was the guy who mentored him. Um, and so now it's crazy how God works. I, my brother-in-law were super close. I was his worship leader at a evangelical church, uh, you know, years ago when I was in college and I'm now his associate in an Anglican church that is now that pastor has become the bishop over the diocese or over all these churches. And God has just really led me to um, a different perspective of how a church gathers and why a church gathers and the purpose of worship and the purpose of the church. And uh, Anglicanism is something that I've kind of had in the back of my head for a while. And a lot of the my favorite uh, authors and a lot of my favorite theologians come out of the Anglican church. And so it's just great to be part of. So yeah, we're up in Modesto, California, which is about uh, six hours from Zach. And we're, uh, we're up north in the Central Valley where like 90 plus um, percent of the almonds of America come from. So it's kind of <laughs> cool. So yeah. Yeah, and uh, just so you, all the listeners know, David made up that whole story. Uh, he really just became Anglican so that he could hopefully meet N.T. Wright, right? That's right, man. <laughs> One day it will happen. One day we'll get him on now, the podcast. Now you'll 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 hear if you listen to this podcast, you'll hear over and over how much N.T. Wright, who is an old Anglican bishop, uh, how much he has shaped a lot of the way Zach and I thought think. So good. So uh, today, coming back at it, I mean, it's been eight weeks since our last podcast episode aired. Uh, we we're just trying to get settled in life and trying to figure out how to do podcasts. Um, you know, being yeah. that we are at a distance. Um, but there's some things that have happened both in our world and in our nation, but and also within the Church of America, a couple of things that have popped up that we thought we would tackle today. Um, but to zoom farther out, I think that a great conversation around the our identity as a people of God um, would be huge. The conversation we want to have today is, um, it's a big one, and it's... Uh it shapes a lot of how we view, like you and I were having this conversation as we were thinking about this podcast today of uh, me trying to clarify, okay, hey, what are we talking about? Because this is an implication of it and this is an implication of it. Um, so today it's going to be a really big picture and I think it could uh, spawn out a whole line of different podcasts on what does it mean if we, when we live in light of what does it under, mean to be God's people, to be people in, in God. So, um, um, some of the things we want to talk about, I mean, we they, we're, we live in a nation right now that's extremely divided on opinions and uh, especially political opinions. And here we are as uh, as we, we call ourselves Christians here in America. And there's there's there's. I think disagreements and misconceptions on like, how now do we live? What does it mean? And what what's our identity? And I think that the most important thing for us to get back to is the, you know, and you could call me old school, but the, the biblical understanding of what it means to be God's people. Uh, because when we land on that, that gives us identity and allows the other things to fall into their place. And so uh, if, if you haven't listened, we've, we've chatted about some of this stuff, and you could especially go back to episode four of this podcast um, where we talk about what Jesus really cares about, and that is his kind of setup of his kingdom and his people. If we're God's people, if we're the church, how, how is the church supposed to behave in that? How is God's people 
historically been called to participate in the world and the nations, in their community, in the social sphere, the political sphere, all those things. And before you can even just jump in and be like, well, this is what we should be doing and this is what we shouldn't be doing. Uh, you've got to understand the we of that whole question. You know, who is the we? Who, what is the we supposed to look like before we start saying what we should do? So, you know, that's what we're going to do today. We, we talk about, and, you know, we talk about this in past episodes, but God gave a vocation when he created Adam to rule over the fish and rule over the birds of the air and to subdue the earth, to create something out of it and to be fruitful and multiply. But we understand that, that, that there was, there was a distortion and, and there was a, a fracturing of that, that unity and that harmony that God created when man rebelled. And so God in his goodness still is continuing forward what he intended for this world. And in his goodness, he still offered blessing under his rule. And so what we see throughout scripture and even that we're living under is, is this word covenant. Do you want to talk a little bit about what covenant is? The easiest thing to think about with covenant is, uh, for our culture, is marriage, even though it's probably like not fulfilled to the greatest extent of it. But the ideal of a marriage is uh, the ideal of a covenant, right? So you have two parties coming together, um, joining a partnership of building a family, uh, living together, working together, of sharing ideas and uh, conflict and all that, doing it together and saying, we're going to be with each other. This, this whole thing, all the, you know, life and death through sickness and health, through all the ugliness, the goodness. And, you know, that's the easiest way to think of a covenant. And so in the old Testament, uh, you know, you, you are revealed to this God who, uh, makes covenants with people and with people groups. And, you know, as we've shared before on this podcast is, you know, the opening pages, as you said, is, is God wanting to partner with humans of him, uh, creating humans to say, let's make this awesome. And then it goes bad when we, you know, turn away from that, want to do our own thing, sin enters the world. And so, uh, the covenant is God grabbing a group of people and, um, essentially marrying himself to them and, and taking on all the ugliness and the conflict and the stupid things that are going to do. But, partnering with them for an accomplished goal. And so, um, you know, you see that there in Genesis when, when God you know, makes a covenant with Abraham. He says, I'm going to bless you, and through your family, uh, I'm going to bless the nations. Uh, I, I'm going to take your family, and this is going to be the people of God. And that gets expanded out uh, to Exodus, uh, you know, when God rescues them from slavery, brings them out, makes another covenant with them, um, you know, you are going to be a light to the nations, a kingdom of priests. You know, I think we talked about this once in one of our podcasts. Um, but this is his covenant with them is that, you know, I'm going to use this nation, this group of people uh, to bless the world. And this is this is God's people. This is their chosen people. Um, so I think we, we kind of have that framework there. I don't know if you do you want to touch, touch more on like the. Old Testament side of it. So yeah, I, th- quick. I think uh, one of the key things that that uh, that I do want to talk. You could go back to past 
you know, podcast episodes and listen without yep. us over talking it. But one of the things that's unique about the conversation God has with Abraham is that he offers these people that after 400 some years, you could see in chapter 15 of Genesis, he offers that he says, Hey, you're going to go into another land. You're going to be mistreated. But then he says, after that, like I'm giving you a, a land and he sets up boundaries for the land. And there's, there's, I think what, what winds up happening is, is when we now look and we'll talk a little bit more about this in the future, but when, now that when we now as, as Christians, we sit under the authority of scripture because we sit under the authority of God, we, we now read this, we tend to think it's talking about us. And I think that's key here that in the old Testament, what God is doing is he is promising a land and a barrier marker to his people at that time where his people become an actual legitimate nation with a land and boundary markers there. Yeah. And I think it's, it's key to note too, um, with, with the Israelites is that, uh, they were, uh, that was not the end, right? That was not the end goal was to create, uh, one little nation. I mean, it's a tiny nation that God chooses. Uh, and at that moment, it, that wasn't what God's end goal was. You know, they were a tool to the end goal of all nations, you know, joining in. Uh, you know, I think of all the words of, in Isaiah, you know, you can find it in Isaiah, you can find it in Micah. Um, you can find it in the Psalms of this vision that one day all the nations would pour into, uh, into God's people, that these, this land and nation uh, idea would be would kind of be broken down and invite all people in, but for the moment in the Old Testament, uh, this is what God is using. It's not His end goal is for uh, you know this one country with borders and their people, and that's what He's aiming to get to. If that makes sense. Yeah, and that's some of the tension that we see with Jesus, like even around. Uh, the Samaritan woman and some of these deals that, that, that God's people had turned inward as opposed to blessing outward. And, uh, and so we see that tension. And one of the things with Jesus, when he comes, um, Christianity, we, we need to understand this when we look at scripture, Christianity, isn't something different than what God did in the old Testament what it is, is it's actually a, it's the continuation of, of what God intended with the conversation with Abraham that all nations will be blessed. And so now it's offered to every tongue, tribe, and nation um, because of Jesus. It's, we are that vision. We're not something different. We are that vision. Galatians three says, um, and, and this talks about, man, now that we, we, we have faith in Jesus, it says this, understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. So now we're like part of this family. Uh, scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles, us, the non-Jews, by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. So it points all the way back. And this is what it says. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So that same uh, desire that God had for 
Israel, he continues on through people who claim Jesus as Lord by faith. You see, um, you see with Paul this the same wrestling that we're dealing with today of um, of God's people and what we're supposed to do and uh, our relationship to government and nation and the person next door and all those relationships you see Paul wrestling with that with the Israelites where <laughs> the the plan of God using them to bless the nations. And you have, as you said, kind of this inward turning of like, you know, this is the blessing. The, Is- the Israelite family were good. You know, it's, it's welcoming everyone into this family um, and doing things that we're supposed to do. So the circumcision, the, the following after Sabbath, all these kosher laws. Um, and Paul is trying to say that and actually got Jesus breaking those down because he's blessing the nations through this family. Um, and, and, you know, as you bring up Galatians, like this is what Paul's wrestling with right here is what does God's family look like now? Um, what does it look like to be God's people now? Um, because Jesus has brought something different. He's, he's, he's brought the blessing that this family was meant to do, um, by inviting Jew and Gentile and Greek and slave and master um, and breaking down those walls that the Israelites had put up by trusting themselves so much as being the nation of God um, and not really going outside of it and, and blessing the world with uh, with Yahweh, with you know having God's presence. Um, and this is what Paul's wrestling with. Is, and I think it's uh, very similar to what we're wrestling with, too, is um, these boundary markers and these, uh, the way in which we view, uh, who's God's people and our nation. Um, so I think Paul's wrestling with some of those very similar things. One of the things that we see is, is that there's so many fantastic conversations that Paul has fantastic. He, I mean, he's, he, he was in a sense, uh, you know, the missionary, the one who brings the message of Christ clearly to the Gentiles. And the beautiful thing about Paul is that he even says, I mean, he says in Acts as he's standing before a council, I am a Pharisee. So, so the majority of everything that he writes and he speaks is fully under the context of this family that we now step into uh, of what God has done through the Jewish people and wants to do. And one of the, one of the things that I want to caution us from, which I, I, I think gets us in some weird places is to strip Paul out of that context and read a lot of what he writes out of the context of both what Jesus was to the Jews, but also who Paul was as a Jewish Pharisee. In looking at Jesus and and the context of Jesus and his kingdom, we need to realize that Jesus was first and foremost the fulfillment of prophecy as a Messiah to the Jews and King to the Jews. And all we have to do is look at 2 Samuel 7, Isaiah 9, uh, even Daniel too, and it's this promise that a king will one day come through the line of David and he will set up the kingdom that God intended and it, this kingdom will last forever. So here we are, 
um, you know, after Jesus, both early church has this tension, but we now have this tension where it's like, okay, we are citizens now of this kingdom that Jesus is the king of, but we're living in a land that has its own governmental authorities and ways in which it works. Yeah, it's it's dealing with a different different struggle because you you think of um, for Paul um, in in the early church this wrestling of all right God's people they you know they've existed in Israel and that's the goal you know is getting people in Israel and uh, getting people into this nation this covenant and you have this easy like picture of like, oh, who's God's people? Oh, it's the nation of Israel, right? It's this land, it's got borders, it's got cities, that's the people of God. And then you have Jesus who shows up and and he's inviting Samaritans and he's inviting in Greeks and all the Gentiles into this and it starts getting messy. You're like, wait, uh, so who's, who's God's people? Like, what what nation is it? You know, because you know I know who who the the Romans God is, and I know who uh, the Greeks worship, but I know who uh, the Assyrians and uh, the Persians. I know who they worship. So this God of Israel now he's he's claiming people from all these different ones, and and where's their land? You know, where's their where's their nation? Um, and so this is where we're the whole, you know, idea of this church is, as Paul says in Galatians, that it's neither Greek nor Jew nor, you know, nor Gentile nor, nor slave nor free. It's, it's people, it's everyone, it's all nations coming together. And so you have this weird tension where before it was easy to point out who God's people were. Oh, they're the ones who live in Israel. <laughs> and now you have them, well, they're, they're all over the place. They're, they're in these little communities and they're in little groups and, uh, and they're interacting with different nations because you think about God's people as, as the Israelites and um, the ideal was that they would have a king who was, you know, subjected to Yahweh, who was his servant, who was expected to, to hear what he wanted and to live it out. And, you know, you read the Old Testament and they don't do a great job of that, but that was the, that was the hope. And you have this nation where, you know, it's expected that you worship Yahweh. It's expected that you follow the festivals and the traditions. And, you know, and again, they have mishaps where they, they certainly don't do that. But that was the ideal, was that you were living in this nation doing those things. And now it's to us and now it's to the early church where you're living in Rome. And you're living uh, in different places where someone else is king. And they're not listening to Yahweh. And they're not listening to Jesus. And you're being expected to participate in things that are counter to following after Jesus. And it's opened up this whole question of what's our relationship to our nation? What's our relationship to the land we live in? Uh, Whereas maybe before it would have been easy if it was just being a part of Israel. Uh, But now we're a part of God's kingdom. And that kingdom spans so many different places. And we're a part of God's people, but it's not defined by a border. It's not defined by a nation. And I think that's the hardship we're facing is how do we relate to the the government? How do we relate to our nation? Um, What's our role in that? Uh, Who is, you know, 
does God's people have a land? Does it have a nation? I think that's the question we're wrestling with. Yeah, a couple things about, uh, especially the stuff that Paul's writing in the early in the early uh, church is Christians uh, were were being persecuted. It, it it persecution was a thing, and w- what we need to understand when looking back is that persecution happened not because they were teaching that there's a God, not because they're teaching that there's, Hey, you're going to die and you're going to go to heaven. Honestly, those beliefs existed within Roman culture. We, we think, Oh yeah, the gospel is this idea that, you know, you're going to go to heaven when you die and that's all there is. That's not why they were being persecuted. They were being persecuted because they were declaring Jesus as Lord, which flew in the face of, of Caesar. And what's interesting is that if you understand history of Rome for the first 300 and, and you know, what is it? 313 years, um, you know, uh, since, since Jesus was born, we would say it, Christianity was not the dominant religion, but something switched in 313 when Christianity actually became the legal main religion of the empire. Something switched. And what wound up happening was there was this marriage then between uh, the, the, the Christian ideas and ideals and the, the empire ideals and ideals. There was this marriage and Christianity as they knew it as a whole, it, it actually shifted. And it, it, you know, so, some of the places where it landed weren't fully healthy and some of them were counter to how they looked before. And I think that we could learn a lot from looking at the early church and then learn a lot from looking at that shift of like, how do we now live as followers of Jesus in what would be a superpower type empire? I kind of want to reiterate what you said. Like it's something we have to remember that the early church was persecuted because of, of claiming Jesus as king. Like we use the word like, oh, Jesus Christ and Lord Jesus. And like those are like personal like terms, but that's king words. Like and to call him the son of God, like that was a term that, you know, type Emperor Tiberius and Caligula, you know, these emperors during the time of of Jesus and the Christians that they were using to be like, no, the son of God is the emperor. And for them being, no, actually it's Jesus. He's the Lord. He's king. Like that was, that's blasphemy. That's going against your nation and the emperor. And to have this dramatic shift, I mean, go read what was happening to the Christians during Nero's reign. Like he was, he was lighting them on fire and blaming them for things. I mean, it was awful. And then you have this switch to where all of a sudden with, um, with Constantine, where um, Christianity becomes like the main religion of Rome. And it becomes the main, um, uh, it becomes what he follows. And suddenly you start, as you said, this marriage between the two. Um, and it's this first time where you you almost have believers and God's family going backwards um, where God had taken one group of people and wanted to bless all the nations and spread, you know, his people out. And, and now you're having this moment where now it's like, okay, God's people are in Rome, you know, and God's people are this nation and this country. And we're putting our ideas together 
with the nation. And then, and that's where the ugliness starts coming out. You know, I think, um, yeah, you know, talk a little bit about how that is kind of happening for, to us right now. It has been happening to us um, and the struggle of that. Yeah. I mean, we all kind of hopefully understand the history of how the pilgrims came over mostly because they wanted to worship a specific way. And so America to them was this coming over. It's this idea of this, oh man, we now have this freedom now where we, we don't have to sit under the rules and, and the oppression that they felt from um, the, the religious rule before. And we, we understand that, that one of the things that in our history of our nation um, is that it, it was, you know, set up with this idea that there would this be this freedom to worship. And so because of that, uh, you know, especially in the early days, there were a lot of people that were followers of Jesus that were passionate about wanting specific ways in which the the government did and didn't intervene into the religious mindset and way and practice of the people. And so because of that, we traditionally, as America, we have moved in and, in and out of Christian, Christianity and Christian ideals being present. Um, uh, uh, quite a few things within our culture that we, we've had a couple great awakenings and revivals in America that have kind of shaped that direction. Um, and America has always kind of had this, this, uh, you know, this, this uh, mindset to it, almost, almost a rebel mindset, you know, to it. And that rebel mindset has at times won wars. And that rebel mindset at times has stepped in to things like World War One and World War Two, in which, uh, in which our ideals as a nation have, um, have stopped or put an end to war. And so what we see is that those ideals, especially after World War Two, when, when, uh, you know, the, the baby boomer generation came up, it's because that generation began to settle. And, and now that they settled and, and they're having families, they wanted both this, this American pride that man, we're awesome to also be married with this idea that man, church and Christianity, that's a good thing for our society, which we believe that we believe and that Christian ideals are good for a society. So there was this, this post World War II, um, kind of mix in with this, uh, this, man, church and Christian uh, ideals are good for society. And um, after World War II, that's kind of what came up within kind of this baby boomer generation that we have. Yeah, I think it's easy to see, um, you know, especially if you grew up going to church uh, in the States, uh, to see the, the intertwining of American values and Christian values and um, there's been great moments where our nation has pulled from the values of Christianity and has done great things, you know, in light of that, where uh, believers have taken steps into the government and have taken steps to do, you know, influencing, influencing, <laughs> influencing, influencing really important things. Um, but at the same time, when you start pouring those things, you know, those different ideas together, you 
create this mix. And sometimes it's hard to separate the two from one another. And so you have these American values and you have these Christian values and there's moments where the values line up uh, and there's moments where they're very at, at odds. And if we're not careful about separating them, you know, we're falling into the, um, the trap that the church fell into with Rome, that uh, by giving into the power and, and giving into what the values were of that nation, you know, we start to look less and like the people of God and we start to look more and more just American. Um, and the two are not, um, the two are not the same. You know, they, they are different ideas. Um, and I think we're, we're witnessing that right now is that struggle of, of what does it mean to, to follow Jesus, to be in his kingdom, and what's the kingdom of America? You know, like what's, yeah. what's the values within each one? And um, if we're not careful, we can take those values and uh, equate them and uh, read those into our Bible. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let me read. Uh, let me read a couple things from this is one, one of our presidents, uh, George W. Bush. Let me read you a couple statements um, that he made kind of in his time as president. Here's one. The need is great, yet there is power, power, wonder working power in the goodness and idealism and faith of the American people. Notice how there was a, there was a, a tie-in taken from a song. There's power, power. The, this is what the song says. Power, power, wonder-working power in the precious blood of the Lamb. Taking that line out of that and saying, man, it's in the goodness and ideals and faith of the American people. Here's, here's another one. This ideal of the American is the hope of all mankind. That hope still lights our way. And the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. <laughs> Which is a quote from John 1 talking about Jesus. That Jesus yeah. is the light that the darkness will not overcome. <laughs> that Jesus is the light that shines in the darkness. But notice how, how that, that is being twisted about American idealism. And what we find is that... Um, that a lot of us and a lot of that, the, the generation that I explained coming up post-World War II, um, there's, there's this, the, you know, this cheering of that moment that it's like, oh my goodness, I know that from Scripture. And he's talking about America, this, this cheering of that. But what it is, is it's, it's this entwining of two empires that I'll tell you um, are at odds with each other at times. And Jesus's way is the one in which needs to win in that. And that's just, that's so weird to hear, but that's like the, the mixing of, you know, the two of, of, of following Jesus. And then, you know, the nation that we just happen to live in, you know, um, just mixing together. And I think, um, when God and country, uh, become more valuable than, than God's kingdom, um, I'm, I'm looking right now, I'm looking at like some bumper stickers right now that are like God and country ones. And there are, um, there have you seen the guns in Jesus? And... Yeah. I saw that one <laughs> yesterday on Twitter. That was what those are two such 
weird things to put together, right? Oh, you put put in the notes. What's that verse we always quote? The the second what is the second Chronicles seven yeah, fourteen? Yeah, yeah, if yeah, my yeah, people yeah. will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will heal their land. Which is a beautiful passage. But is that about America? No, it's, it's not, right? It's about Israelites. <laughs> a couple things, too, that's really interesting to me is if going back to the early church like we talked about, reading some of the things that early church fathers wrote, um, there's, there's one, uh, Tertullian wrote, Shall we carry a flag? It is a rival to Christ. Uh, some of some of these quotes from early church fathers almost give us it, it's almost a mirror that we could look into back to ourselves and say, man, what what was the intention then of being like, man, I, I'm going to follow Jesus in his way. Uh, another couple things that I've noticed, and this is something that I, I, I want to highlight that is a it's a it's a it's a current symptom of what happens when we marry, you know, Christian ideals to empire ideals. The, the issue is that I've noticed is that more people seem to know more about political party stances and what those lines are that draw those than they do scripture and theology. And what I found is that people are so passionate about their party stances and ideals. And I don't want to, I don't want to shoot that down here, but what I do want to say is I've noticed that Christians, followers of Jesus are almost more passionate about their political stances than they are about certain things that, that are scriptural. Let me give you an example. It is, it is often, uh, so I, I'm very active on social media, very active on social media. And I, I, every time I post something that Jesus said that maybe challenges our current world and our current world philosophies, the pushback I get is not theological, like ever. It's not yes. theological. Normally what it is, is the, the pushback that I get is somebody says, so are you saying that? And then they push back on political thoughts. So are you saying that, you know, that you're an advocate of social justice? Well, social justice is a liberal Democrat <laughs> ideology. And they start quoting party line ideologies when I never even want to have that conversation. Yeah, I just want to have a theological conversation. But yeah. the, the foundation and the footwork that people are launching off of in conversations are political as opposed to theological. When you do start to uh, kind of push on that of like, hey, like I'm, I'm trying to have a theological conversation here. I, you know, I'm just trying to figure out how Jesus would approach this. What I then find is this, this flip where then it's like, well – you know, don't, you know, Jesus didn't care about politics or, you know, the church shouldn't be about politics, you know, don't, don't spiritualize this or put this with, and it's like, yeah, I got, I literally the other oh, day man. got a, got a, Hey, you're, you're spiritualizing this too much. 
Yeah. It's almost as if like Jesus's teachings aren't practical enough, you know? Yeah. Well, and I think, you know, we talked about this in the kingdom episode, so I'll try not to repeat like everything, but you know, it's that, it's that misunderstanding of what does it mean for me to say that Jesus is Lord and for me to follow after him. It's like you are joining in to like a, a every day you are in rebellion to anything that's not like following after him. And you are a part of a different kingdom. And that's hard. You know, that, that's tough. It shapes so many different things. And you like, like that quote you gave us by Tertullian. I love that quote. Like, you know, the, shall we carry a flag? Like, shall we um, bear upon ourselves um, the identity and the following of national ideals or um, a nation and he says, no, that, like, that's a rival to Christ. Like, your, your allegiance is found in Jesus. Um, and it's not just your, like, your salvation, your little, your prayer that you said to Jesus and your church life. It's, it's your allegiance to him and everything. And I find that that conversation of, like, ah, Jesus didn't care about the politics. Well, yeah, he he didn't care about like political parties or your political line. And he didn't put himself in one, but his whole kingdom bringing is political. Like it, it changes everything. And, uh, it, it makes things nuanced and it, uh, it makes things, it makes things a little difficult in living in a nation. Um, and it's not just as simple as being a Republican or being a Democrat or, um, being an American, like those two are not any, none of those are equated to, to following Jesus or being allegiant to him. And I think that's where we're trying to drive this conversation of God's people is that um, because God's people is, is multicultural, it's multi-nation and that's his vision. That's his hope. um, That's not bound to one country and that by living in a nation, uh, that's not who your, your uh, allegiance is found to. Now, you know, be a great citizen, um, you know, give to Caesar what's to Caesar's, which, you know, is not much. <laughs> right? Yeah, it's just, it's just a little a coin. Portion of it. Yeah, it's just a little coin. Um, everything else is God's. Um, but it's it's being a good good citizen, but it's, it's not um, finding your hope and salvation in your in your nation and in your political party, it's finding your hope and your allegiance to Jesus. And when that political party of yours does something that's counter to Jesus, your allegiance is to Jesus in that moment. Um, when your political party fails you and it will, will, you know, when that politician does something stupid and absurd and says something and goes against the values of Jesus it's in that moment you, you got to remind yourself, I, I'm not allegiant to this person. Like I, I do not have to support their decisions blindly. I do not have to, um, uh, follow and, uh, behave in the way that they have that, you know, my following is to Jesus. He's the one I'm, I'm looking to. And, you know, you and I are, are, I think what's hard for us is when we think about, the early church is that you and I are in, in a Republic, you know, we're in a democracy. So 
we have say, and that always, you know, makes things difficult. But you think about the early church, like they didn't have a whole lot of influence in their nation. And uh, the influence they could bring was by um, the, the little change they could in their neighborhoods and in their community. Um, but you and I have a different opportunity that I'm sure the the early church would love is that you and I have a voice in different things and we can be a voice uh, to, to falling after Jesus, to the oppressed, to the hurt, to the, the hungry, the hopeless, you know, that's, that, you know, that's what Jesus says he came to do was to bring that hope and that if you and I are living in a nation, that's what we're, we're called to do. And um, our allegiance is to, to the vision of Jesus, not the vision of a party or our nation. And sometimes, depending on the party, sometimes there will be specific stances or ideals that line up with Jesus, and sometimes there won't. And at that point, you know, you trust God with it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm reminded right now, there's a a lot of stuff going on right now in in the American church. and and kind of how it's it's playing in with our current political state and a couple of things that that came up there there was a, a just this past week a guy by the name of John MacArthur who is a pastor he has a seminary down in Southern California and um, you know way way back when you know Chuck Chuck Swindoll and uh, you know in the 80s before we had social media and YouTube and all these you know ways we could stream all of our favorite pastors <laughs> there were there were these guys and John MacArthur was one of the guys who I mean the guy is 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 a brain and he's had an amazing impact on preachers that teach verse by verse and exegetically and yeah. but a lot of these these pastors look to him and what he did was him and a lot of his, his followers and a lot of the people kind of in his camp created what was called the gospel and social justice statement. And yeah. in I, I read it this past week, and I, you know, if you have a chance, Google it, take a look at it. But what is fascinating to me, and again, it goes back to it, is, is, is a lot of our view of how we play out and, and to zoom out without even getting fully into that statement that how we live here and now and the things we care about here and now, a lot of it plays into what is our view of the gospel and what is our view of Jesus? If our entire view of the gospel is, you know, Jesus died on the cross to save your personal <clears throat> sins, pray the prayer. You'll go to heaven when you die. It leaves out a a corporate view of what God has done and what God is doing throughout a group of people in the here and now. And it's important that if we understand that, then we see that Jesus's teachings are actually him saying, no, in my kingdom, this is this is these are my political statements in which I want you to align with. I don't know, you know where we are, where we want to land this, but I think, um, where I kind of want to go as far as hope, (laughs) um, is cause there's, you know, there's been some ugliness with the mixing of the two, right? There's been some horrible things done in the name of Jesus, uh, by parties and by our nation, uh, and by people being, you know, allegiant to our nation and thinking it's tied to Jesus. There's been some messed up stuff, right? Yeah. 
Um, and there's been some ugly things that have been said and there's, there's this ugliness in our world. And, um, I think it was about a year ago. I read this book. Um, it's called uh, a creative minority. I think it's by John Tyson pastor in, uh, He's in New York, New York. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, great guy to listen to. He's got an Australian accent. So that's always fun. <laughs> yep. Um, but he wrote this book called it creative minority. And, um, he, you know, he talks about us being at this turning point right now, us as in, you know, the United States where, um, you know, where the evangelicals, the Christians, we've held this majority spot in the American culture for a long time. You know, as you've said, and our history is that, you know, we were founded by, you know, believers fleeing to this country. There's been values that have been shared and, you know, there have been the, the elevation of God and country and, you know, us, yeah, we're, we're a Christian nation. And he says, you know, we've gone from this majority um, to where that we're starting to lose that and people are not listening to us. And, uh, you know, there is, people aren't taking us seriously anymore. And because of the ugliness and the evil and the bad things that, you know, has kind of spawned this podcast episode that we've been talking about. Um, he says, because of that, it's turning us now into the minority. And he says, that's actually a good thing. (laughs) Um, he talks about that when we're a minority, um, when we are no longer um, in bed with government, when we're no longer holding on to the power, um, that we are now way more dependent on Christ, we now have to think creative. That's why he calls it a creative minority. We have that's to now, think cre- yeah, we now have to think creatively of how we influence things and how we bring people to Jesus because uh, it's no longer uh, getting big platforms and getting getting a Christian into the White House, you know, and. Uh, then when they mess up, we look really stupid, you know, it's, he's like, now everything you have to think as being a creative minority of how do we influence now that we've lost our power. And I think there's actually hope in that is, um, you could listen to this podcast and think, oh, great. Like Christians are doing really stupid things. This sucks. Or you could think, oh, darn it. We're losing our influence in the nation and we're losing you know, we need to get Christians in the offices. and um, But there is hope when we let go of that power, you know, when we uh, step aside from that and we become the minority. Um, you know, I would, I would encourage uh, any of our listeners to go and read like the prophets um, and listen to these guys who are in the midst of a nation who – claims to be following Yahweh claims to be following God and is clinging to idols and is doing horrible, horrible things. And God's people are doing stupid things and listen to these prophets and the way in which they uh, call out the evil and the way in which they wrestle with hope and judgment and the way in which they picture what, what God's people are supposed to look like go read the prophets um, and it gives you a great understanding of, of where we're living today, that you and I are like, we're living in Babylon, you know, every, every believer should have this sense that they're living in Babylon, you know, living in exile. Um, you know, you have this moment where the Israelites are taken to exile and God says, you know, pray for the goodness of this nation, work hard to make it, you know, uh, a great place, you know, bless the people that are around you. Uh, 
but don't fall into the idols. You know, don't fall away from being a follower of God. And I think that's the call to the, the Christian today is that you live in Babylon. Like, America's Babylon. Uh, uh, it may be our, one of the better versions of a Babylon, but it's Babylon. And live in it, pray for it, um, you know, seek the goodness for your neighbor and the people who uh, make things difficult and make things hard. But don't follow the idols, you know. Uh, continue to follow after continue to follow after God, continue to be a part of the covenant family. Um, and I think there's actually hope to what is happening right now. As things start crumbling uh, and we start falling away from the majority, I, I think there's there's good hope for if we learn to be uh, followers of Jesus and allegiance to him and, and stay as the minority. Yeah, I, I totally agree. But that's really, really hard right now. Because yeah. it, 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 honestly, I mean, because you know, I'm a, I'm a pastor and, and one of the things, you know, we're going through at my church is a season where the reality that things need to change have to change. Yeah. And, and part of the shepherding in that is realizing that, that is helping walk people through that reality. And one of the things that we're feeling right now in the tension of the divide is that, that there's, it's almost like a mourning. It's a mourning of, of the loss of, of, of a hope that once was for American, you know, Christian America as a society. And part of the reason why we are where we are at right now with, with some of the, the evangelicals and, and what we're getting behind is because we're still trying to grab hold of, of, of that dream. And what I think that's what's happening with guys like John Tyson and, and with this conversation is we're realizing, man, like not only is that, is that not the dream that we can have, there's hope in a different reality, but we have, we have to still till in our conversations have grace and mercy for people who, who in a sense they're mourning the loss of that dream. You know, as it breaks apart, it's a, it's a painful break. You know, it's, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, uh, there's a shift happening from the idealized, you know, Christian America and realizing that that just, it can't happen. And in a way it shouldn't happen, you know, um, but God is calling us to something bigger and he's calling us to his kingdom, you know? And yeah, the, the, the tension is, is there. And I think, um, it's important to recognize it and not ignore it. And I think there's, there's a lot of Christians who want to think it'll just go away. Um, that this weird, like political and social, um, atmosphere that we're existing right now will just like, go away. <laughs> um, things will go back and, you know, the, the grand old party will be great again and, and we'll, you know, get a great person in office and, um, things will go back and, uh, things will change. But, um, there's, there's a shift happening and it's good, but there's going to be people who are frustrated by it and hurt by it. Um, and I think, uh, if, if you're listening and, and you're like, yeah, I've, I've heard this conversation before I'm on board. Um, I think our call is that you have grace, uh, with the people who are really having a hard time with that. And that's something that I struggle with, right? Like 
because I have a lot of conversations with people who I grew up with. Like, you know, we went to a church that that sang the like, you know, that sang the um, the military songs in church. Like on Fourth of July, we would I think I said this in the podcast. We would sing like the little army song and the navy song. It's we had an American flag up there, like, and so I have to learn to have grace with those people. Um, and that's been hard. You know, that, that's like the hardest part. So like, how are you not reading, you know, the kingdom of God stuff by Jesus? Um, but there, yeah, there's, there's a call to grace, um, and trying to nudge people to the gospel, um, and nudging them towards actually, there's something happening here when Jesus talks about the kingdom of God, that's, it's a lot different than just saying a prayer and getting saved and then, uh, just going about our daily lives. So here, I'm going to ask you a question here before we we head out. We are we are two years away from the next election. I'm gonna, I'm going to ask you, being that we are citizens of America and we're also followers of Jesus Christ, what sort of thoughts would you give to um, Christians, followers of Jesus here in America, as we look to approach our next? election to elect the next president so there was a uh there was a story uh i think it was about a week ago where uh president trump had all these evangelical leaders meet together and he said something along the lines of like you know in november and you know thinking about the midterm um i mean that's coming up um you know like basically like your hope lies within how this turns out and like using the fear tactic of, of if if you don't vote right, if you don't get your people to vote right, like things are going to go bad, you know? Um, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was, it was along those lines. And, uh, I say to, to the believers as we get to an election season coming up here, as we get to an election season in two years, is uh, don't live in fear. Don't let the um, the narrative of fear drive you uh, to 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 vote. Um, we don't live in that. Like our hope is not dependent on those things. Um, uh, the advancement of God's kingdom is not dependent on a ballot. Uh, it is uh, it is not dependent on the Republican Party. You know. Um, as blatant as I can say that, like it is not. And so for the, the Christian who's getting ready to vote, I would say, um, engage in conversation with grace, um, learn to listen to both sides. Um, one, this is like a silly thing, but one of the simplest things I went and did uh, a few, a few years ago, um, actually I think it was, it honestly was right after the 2016 election. I went and I unregistered myself as a Republican, um, not because I thought like they're the worst party. I, I just put myself as a, basically no party. Like I'm not tied to a party. I I'm me, you know, and I'm following Jesus. Um, and it was like this little thing where I said, um, and, and even for the Christian who's, you know, a Democrat, like unsubscribe yourself from that. Un you know, pledge yourself to that. It's a simple little thing, but you do that. And it's this sense of like, okay, like I am not tied to that party. I am not, 
putting my hope and trust in whatever they say. Yep, that's what I'm for. Um, listen, this coming election, be gracious um, and hold the things up against Jesus' vision for his people. Um, use this time to read the Sermon on the Mount. Think about what Jesus has pictured for his kingdom and vote with that in mind. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. I I would say to that, and, and I, I probably um, couldn't give much, much advice necessarily for the election yet uh, as I'm thinking about it. But what I would say is being a part of, I'm currently part of a church where the majority of the movement within our church denomination, if you want to call it that, is actually the global South. It's places like Africa and places in Asia that, that I've noticed that the movement of God is strong and it's different globally than how I see it here. And it's allowed me to trust that God's going to do his thing no matter what happens here or not. And that, that brings a lot of my anxiety down for me just to trust God's going to have his way and do his thing. And it is bigger than what I can see. Absolutely. Yeah. It's putting, yeah, it's having the hope in, in the right vision and in the right kingdom. Yeah. Awesome. So, Hey, thanks everybody for listening. We'll be back at you now that we're figuring out how to do this whole podcast thing in two yes. different cities. Um, we again will will add some links to our blogs and stuff in the notes to the show. Thanks so much. Thanks, guys.